Welcome, all you weirdos, for Cohen's. Everyone who enjoys Deja Vu, and everyone who enjoys Deja Vu. As always, we remain the mutant member of your Weird Science Podcast family. I'm your host, Jason, broadcasting from the state-of-the-art wrong-turn studio, high atop stately Weird Science Tower. And here with me once again is Ruben. And when I say once yes, again... Yes, very much once again. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't like to hide things here in the network. We pull yeah. back the curtains. This is going to be the second time that Ruben and I talk about these books, because yesterday... I think it was our finest show ever. I've got to say, you no. Know, yeah, we were we were yeah. really right on. We were firing all cylinders, and then when we were done with an hour long recording, something didn't upload. So the files were lost somewhere on the internet. If you happen to see them, you know, surfing your websites out there, please let us know. But we're going to give this another shot, and uh, maybe we've come up with some even deeper insights than last time. Have you been working real hard coming up with those deeper insights? No. No. Okay. I've well. been, I've been uh, thinking about what happened. And my theory is that I was talking about how great uh, John Tynan's jail, uh, Justice League Dark was. And <laughs> Jim decided to throw the files oh, away and make I us see. do it over again. Yeah. Conspiracy theory here. Okay. So it's we'll have machine to... error. It's, it's editor error. That's, that's if what I, I'm If I say. had that edit that out button, I would push it now, <laughs> but uh, I do not. I don't have that level of authority here at the, the Weird Science Tower. So uh, we do have three books to talk about this week. They will be Rogan Gambit, number five of five, X-Force number 42, and Immortal X-Men number 13. But first, yeah, we're going to talk about the news, a little bit of news that's relevant to us. Uh, as as you may have heard, Kamala Khan is dead. Uh, just this past Wednesday, like almost a week ago now, Marvel released her memorial issue, in her honor called Fallen Friend, The Death of Miss Marvel, which uh, was actually not bad, pretty touching. Ruben, have you uh, have you read it in the 24 hours since I <laughs> asked you that last time? <laughs> yeah, no. No? Oh, man. No, I was not intrigued enough to read it. I, I, you know, same thoughts as I had yesterday, which nobody else heard. Uh, basically... Uh, it's a little weird to me that you do a memorial issue for a character that you're bringing back, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. almost the same week, right? I, I don't exactly oh. know how far apart they are, but... It was, already- it was two days later. Yes. The, only, the announcement uh, came two days after that touching memorial issue. Uh, that's when it came, you know, right after everyone already paid their money for the issue. But, you know, not that we didn't know she was coming back, but like in theory... They got their money for the memorial and then immediately said, oh, by the way, she's not going to be dead anymore. So we can't even really say, I told you so, even though we did tell you so, because everyone in the comics internet was telling you, this is obviously what's going to happen. And yeah, it's what's going to happen. She's going to be back and she's going to be a mutant. Oh, boy. So uh, what do we think of the development? I'm still continuing to be like moderately annoyed by it for a few reasons. Uh, Number one. The big news is going to be announced in universe at the Hellfire Gala. Now, there's all sorts of other stuff that has to happen at the Hellfire Gala. We need to do the stuff with the Treehouse, Krakoa, Orcus, the Quiet Council is announcing a big thing. So just to you know, force whoever's writing that issue, probably Jerry Duggan, to squeeze in this whole other separate corporate you know, initiative seems like a pain. Like, why, why do that? Yeah. Number they already have Inhumans in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so I'm not sure why it's important for them to make Kamala a mutant, but here we are. Yeah, so this event was just so obviously, it wasn't created because someone thought, hey, this will be the best possible story we can tell. People will love this story. They'll be talking about it for generations on end. No, no, it's just it's just brand management, right? 
Inhumans are out. Mutants are in. Like yeah. you say, Ms. Marvel is a mutant in the MCU for some reason. So they're going to make her a mutant in the comics. And I think they're also going to make her powers in the comics probably match up more with the kind of energy armor ones the that they stuff. have in the yeah. MCU. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> and finally, Marvel, also DC, but that's a whole other podcast. Marvel seems to believe that its major work product, what it really does is release press releases, with comics being just an afterthought. For instance, one of the co-authors of the new series, Ms. Marvel New Mutant, uh, is going to be the actress who plays Kamala Khan in the MCU. Now, you, you can't convince me that out of a crazy coincidence, she just happens to be the most amazing comic author with the best idea for a story for this character. Yeah, I think that's extremely sus. Yeah, that's ex- it's extremely sus. Again, she's probably a perfectly lovely human being. I'm not saying mean things about her. I'm saying mean things about Marvel and Disney for making us, for trying to make us believe that, oh, yeah, she's going to be a great comic book. And even if she is, maybe start on a different, you know, short story somewhere and not, here's your flagship title for this giant thing. <laughs> kind of annoying. But again, it's because the books don't matter as much as the press release. And to put in the press release, hey, the actress is right in the book. That makes the press release better. I, I don't, yeah. I don't want to flame this person because maybe they're actually you know, secretly a writer, but it just seems really strange, like different skill set, right? For sure. And I mean, People can have multiple skills, but this is just, just too much of a coincidence, too annoying. Yeah, I'm not the biggest She Willow Wilson fan these days. Uh, you know, I still think she's a competent writer, but I kind of get a feeling that maybe her perspective is not one that I, interests me that much. But you know, she's known, right? Well known as a writer for that character. I think that sure. to me would have been more exciting as, hey, we're bringing back the OG writer for this character yeah, that everybody loves that to could have been. tell, like, you know, a new version of the story. Yeah, there is an actual like, professional writer teaming with the actress. I forget who it was, but it wasn't someone I was super familiar with. Yeah. So basically, and, they're the ones writing the actual story, and then they're just sticking somebody's name on there. One their- would presume. I, I don't know how that works. <laughs> There's a number of these celebrity authors lately. There's, you know, Worf writing the Steel book, yeah. and the Riddler actor is writing the Riddler book. And I think there's at least one more. It's, it's like this mini trend going on right now. Uh, but but one more thing I'm curious about, and I, I haven't been able to determine. I, I did, you know, I, I posted a reply to one of Marvel's announcement tweets. You know, not like I'm going to get an answer. But what I want to know is who is editing the new Ms. Marvel book. And specifically, if she's going to be a mutant, is the book coming out from the X office? Is it going to have, you know, designed by the two guys who would design everything? Is it going to have the data pages? Basically, Ruben, do you and I need to worry about you know, reviewing these books or is it going to be Jim's problem? No, and this is a Jim problem. I don't problem. even know. 100% Jim problem. <laughs> he does like the character. He said that very often, that he was a big fan of her when she first came out. So perhaps... He will steal her away. Yeah, if they still have an X logo on this, he can still review those titles and we'll just have like a Jim's segment. That'd be nice. I think Lucas Wernick is doing at least one of the covers I saw. And he's, I don't know if he only does X books, but I, I think of him as mostly as being a like a mortal X-Men kind of writer or artist. <clears throat> so that's enough of a rant for now. Hellfire Gala 2023 issue comes out on July 26th. And we will certainly talk about that issue on this podcast whether or not it uploads, two weeks from now. <laughs> so, time to move on to this week's books, and we are starting with Rogan Gambit, number five of five, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Carlos Gomez, colors by David Curiel and Fer Sifuentes Suho, 
Letters by Ariana Mayer, designed by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. Now, now, Ruben, on our, our secret lost recording, if I remember correctly, you told me that this issue is the most important thing to happen in X-Men <laughs> continuity since dawn of future past. Now, sir, defend that statement to me, please. Oh you can't God. prove me wrong. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought it was just funny that a lot of the uh, fall, you know, before the fall issues were referencing some of the stuff going on in here. Specifically, the fact that people realize that um, is it Manifold mm-hmm. is an important character that has to be saved, right? To save immunes. Yeah, there's a thing going on with Manifold, and we don't really know what it is or what it's connected to, but there's a major event that happens at the end of this book that is going to show up somewhere else. It better because he's just going to be gone. So I'm, I am curious to see where that pops up. But, but yeah, this issue there, is not important. <clears throat> so no. we're going <laughs> to rush through the actual events of the issue to talk about that one scene. And uh, what happened here is Rogue was being controlled by Power Broker's technology, and there was no way that she could possibly resist his control. And to remove the technology would kill her. So what she does is. She, she just this overcomes the technology <laughs> through the power of love. She decides, and yes, not to be controlled wild. anymore. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, so then Rogue and Gambit beat up the power broker. Gambit grabs remote control to free the other victims. The other victims then, I don't know, either murder power broker or beat him up off panel. Maybe they give him to the cops. Who the hell knows? Uh, and yeah, then in the process of all this, I guess Rogue grabs that remote off her husband. Because now we get to that really interesting scene. Uh, interesting in the sense of where is it going to go, at least. Not interesting in the sense of particularly well-written. We're told this is one day later. It's on Krakoa. And Rogue meets with Destiny. Now, Rogue wants Destiny to do a thing. But Rogue doesn't want to do the thing. But then Rogue agrees to do the thing. And that thing is to use the remote control to mind control manifest into getting into some kind of a glass and metal pod and perhaps being sunk into the ocean. It's its not clear what's happening, but he's hes very much not himself. Uh, Rogue is boop, boop, booping on the remote, and he's hes going to get into this pod. It's a so, time capsule. Time? Okay. It's definitely a capsule. I don't know if it's yeah. time or I don't, space I don't mean, or what. No, I don't mean like time time and space. I mean like the crap that you bury in your backyard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that somebody could find it in 100 years. <laughs> Yeah, so Destiny, as usual, not big on details. Uh, She does say that this is necessary in order for, quote, mutant kind to survive. And it's either Manifold here or all of us, including him, in a grave. So what do you think this is all about? Why would it be so important for Manifold to be hidden away somewhere against his will and not in a way you could tell him, hey, Manifold, I saw this thing. Maybe you go off planet for a while and we'll see you later. Because we know he can go wherever the hell he wants. He's yeah. manifold. He talks yes. to space. Yes. So Yeah, it's um it's intriguing. This is the one part of this whole story that does intrigue me. I want to know what's going on and um I can't really predict what his power set is going to be used to help people, right? I mean yes he can go anywhere, but what's gonna happen that requires somebody to be able to go somewhere? Yeah, is it that a villain would mind control him and use him as a weapon? Yeah, that's, maybe that's, that's it. The, Taking that's him like out the, of the equation yeah. for that purpose. So we saw this idea of Destiny being interested in Manifold, and I think it was a Sinister Four one-shot. Yeah. So I guess that means it's most likely that this plotline will come up down the road in Immortal, 
under yes. Kieran Gillen. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of stuff that's got to happen first. And it doesn't feel like this is a super pressing plot point. It feels like we're going to do a whole bunch of Orcus fall, you know, stuff first. And then maybe we'll come back to this afterwards. I do like the idea of this happening and then people just forgetting about it. <laughs> and then he's just gone for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, people didn't notice what was up with Juggernaut. I mean, he apparently yeah. was being controlled by Power Broker for how, who knows how long. So I yeah. guess there's a lot of lot of characters around. Can't keep track of everybody. Yeah. Who's the, um, oh gosh, the, the robot guy who was on um, Doug Ramsey's arm for a bit? Warlock. Oh, Warlock. Yeah. yeah. Nobody seems to be really worried about him. <laughs> yeah, and in, in Immortal, we'll see that he gets an arm back that looks pretty much just like his warlock arm. Yeah. But then he says something like, oh, now that's Krakoa for space. So yeah. Again, it feels like the artists didn't get the memo, and then the writers have to explain it in retro- retrospect. Yeah. So that's where this silly little book ends, almost. There's, there's one more dumb scene. Uh, where Rogue is trying to cook New Orleans Creole gumbo for hubby, but she burns the hell out of the roux. Don't burn your roux, people. That's If you learn anything, if you take nothing else from this podcast, watch your roux. It burns so easily and you got to throw it out. Uh, so, while Gambit orders pizza instead, Rogue convinces him to use his make-things-explode powers to take yes. that power broker tech out of her neck. Now, why would this work? <laughs> this was not never set up. We didn't see anything that would make us think this works. But even if you suspect that it might work, would you just do it there in the kitchen? Yeah. I, I would think you'd go back to Krakoa in a controlled environment, have some yeah. other really powerful mutants standing by to, to freeze time or control things or in case something goes wrong. But nah, Gambit's just back from a run, still has his shirt off, looking all sweaty and sexy. And yeah, boop. It works. I'm going to remove this brain bomb from your neck Yeah, by putting a bomb in your neck. (laughs) I turn the bomb into a bomb. Yes. And that that is like a double negative, right? (laughs) (sighs) So I guess off panel now, uh, Gambit has to run around and uh, do this to Juggernaut and Absorbent Man and Electro and everybody else. Maybe that'll happen in uh, X-Men Unlimited. That'd probably be better than some things I've read in X-Men Unlimited. Yeah, possibly. And that's where the miniseries ends. Now, oh, what a miniseries. I still didn't care for the art for all the reasons I've always said I don't like the art, so I'm not going to kick that again. I'll say that the fight scene against the Power Broker was, you know, for a generic fight scene. It looked nicely dynamic. It looked all right. So ending on that semi-positive note, I'm going to give Rogan Gambit number five a four out of ten. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four out of ten as well. Stephanie Phillips doesn't understand how technology works, and... That just annoys the hell out of me. She uh, has a new indie book out like a week ago about, is it some sort of uh, martial arts training thing? Mutai? Yeah. I don't even know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she knows more about maybe that. Maybe she knows she more knows about, about that, this. yeah, because she does not know anything about technology. Even the Power Broker's cell phone device yeah, still pisses me off. Yes, yeah, it's like, so now they have the cell phone, right? And it has the mind control th- like program that's working on Manifest, or Manifold manifold and right. like who's supporting that right <laughs> what happens when they stop paying the it's, aws bills it's embedded and the app just stops working sure. right like why would they continue to keep this program up and running and how does the interface work yes. all we see is somebody push a button and then a character i mean how many buttons are on this yes is it is it voice control like my uh my tv remote control and i try to get it to, to play a show and it never understands me 
Yeah. That'd be a fun bit to watch. We're trying to command one of these characters to do something and the technology, you know, like your okay Siri or Google misunderstands yeah. they do something else instead. That that could be a fun fun issue. Yeah. The next time yeah, the next time they log in to try to use this thing to get him out of the capsule <laughs> The two-factor authentication's going to be involved. <laughs> oh, and, where's my other phone? They sent a text. Yeah. Well, they sent an email to this other address, and I got to remember the password to that email. Yeah, Power Broker logs uh, in, changes the password. They're screwed. <laughs> What's his mother's maiden name? Somebody look up Power Broker's mother's maiden name. Yes. Yeah. Put sage just, on it. Oh, God. It upsets me so much. I get, maybe it's because it's like, that's the world I work in, but mm -hmm. it's just bad. And it seems just... Not at all thought through. There seems no. to be very little like time and effort put into how does this central plot point device, how does this MacGuffin actually work? Oh, well. Moving on, we're going to go to X-Force number 42, the Ghost Calendars Part 3. And no, we never did ever figure out what the hell that name means. There's no ghosts. <laughs> there's no calendars. No. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're going through time. And yeah. I don't know. It makes about as much sense <laughs> as Crepe Nuts. There's no grape. There's no nuts. What's the deal with that? Yeah. Uh, so this book is written by Ben Percy, art by Paul Davidson, letters by Joe Caramagna, designed once again by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. So while I'm looking at the credits page here, it's as good a time as any to note that Omega Red is officially listed as deceased here on the cast list. Uh, and I don't think any of his teammates mention him at all <laughs> anywhere in this issue. So just like no one's going to notice, hey, where'd Manifest go? Yeah. No one seems to care that Omega Red, their beloved teammate, is friggin' dead. So I, I guess the team wasn't that close. No. Yeah. Apparently he contributed nothing to the team, right? Well, he did a, a big thing in the first uh, part of this story where he was swallowed by the big yeah, like, beast doom monster and you know, killed his way out of it. So he's useful, you'd think. He's also been one of the funnier characters in previous issues, and we kind of miss that here. I would like to see him. And given what's going on in Fall of X and the events we're going to talk about in Immortal number 13, I don't know if that he's going to be resurrected all that quickly once they get back to Krakoa. So he may be off the board for a while, or he may just show up and no one mentions that he was dead or how he came back. <laughs> Could go either way. <clears throat> he's hanging out with Magneto. Aw, R.I.P. Eric, Max, whatever yes. the hell his name is. Yeah. So, uh, old man Kid Omega has been dragging his X-Force teammates through various future beast-ruled dystopias so they can watch him one-hit kill every time period's final boss. They've been moving backwards through the future, which is a sentence that actually makes sense, uh, with last issue's adventure being plus 5,000 years, and this issue's adventure taking place only a thousand years from now. So we, uh, this is the beast that was buried with the Cerebro Sword under Stonehenge. And we learn something about the sword's functioning in the opening pages here. Now, again, my position is the sword should be completely non-functional, just like a paperweight, uh, a physical memento of when Professor X was killed back in, you know, early dawn of X. But Another software thing that drives me nuts, right? This is equipment that was basically, it was a mechanical device that had been exploded by a gun and then reformed into a sword shape by the Magneto. power of magnetism. Yeah. Yes, but power magnetism, and now it has very complex technological functionality. Yeah, now if this was a magical thing like the Annihilation Mask becomes the Annihilation Staff, okay, yes. it's, it's magic, it was magically reshaped, it yes. still works, it does whatever it does, but yeah, this is a computer. Now, 
I've dropped some high tech <laughs> devices in my day, and they don't work better after they change shape. <laughs> in my experience, yes, yeah. So, but yeah, here uh, we're told in this uh, story from the point of view of the Beast clone. Even as I remains dormant, the data drives accumulated the knowledge of passing time, constantly updating a mental and physical vision of me best suited for the defense of mutant kind. So that when I rise now, the Promethean fire, getting a little uh, reaching for those vocabulary words there, uh, Ben Percy, the Promethean fire of the Epoch has made me truly immortal and the ultimate intelligence. And it also makes him look like Nimrod for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Just cause I'm offended. I'm just so offended by this stupid sword now. I, the more I think about it, the more angry it makes me. <sighs> so I'm curious. This skips over how he took over this world. Now, was this Nimrod's world when he woke up and he had to fight Nimrod for control? That could be a cool story. But we don't get to see that. We just get to see him already fully in charge uh, and in charge of this future that looks like Blade Runner with a couple extra aliens mixed in. So our team shows up, wanders around a bit, goes through a, a human zoo, which is kind of a decent idea. Call back to Powers of X. This world is so mutant controlled that the only living humans apparently are running around naked in this, this zoo. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, meanwhile, Beast Why Rod Why did he give is, them clothes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to think about that, really. Okay. It's too... There's no good answer there. There's, okay. there's no good answer. Uh, so... It's the, way they, it's the way they want to want to be or something? Maybe. Is this, back this to is nature? a kindness? Okay. Uh, Beast Rod, he's, he's just bored. He's just trying shit out. He's as he's so in control that there's no challenges anymore. And uh, he's so bored he uses Deadpool, dressed up in a jester costume and calling himself Dead Fool. That's his entertainment. So, you know, he's really desperate. Uh, but one thing alleviates his boredom, and that's a security alert saying that his old X-Force teammates are here. And, you know, that gives them something to do for the afternoon. So, blah, blah, blah. They have a fight. Beast Rod wins. Uh, sounds like they might be giant zone here. And they take him back to the throne room where old man Kid Omega barfs up the Cerebrax that he bonded with. Now, I had thought it was more like a mental, spiritual, psychic level they were bonded on. Yes. But apparently it was just more like a, a tapeworm. Yeah, when it comes out of his face, it's not that it's a small thing that comes out of his face. It basically rearranges his skull as yeah, it's coming out. He unhinges his jaw like he's one of those snakes that can swallow an entire deer. Yes, it's but he's gross. okay. In the next scene, he's okay. Don't worry about it. No, but as an individual <laughs> uh, page of art, panel of art, it, it looks actually pretty, really gross, but also pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, so then I guess Cerebrax sees now that Beast is the dominant one. He's the strongest. So it figures, hey, I'll bond with him instead. So it bonds, and then Deadpool picks up that Cerebro sword again, which also has the power to one-hit kill Cerebrax Beast Rod, and they're both dead, and our heroes win. Basically the end. Pretty good sword. Damn good sword. Very undefined powers. It's got got Bluetooth, it's got magic (laughs) plus seven beast slaying powers, it can do anything. So we then get a particularly egregious data page the kind I've been complaining about every week, it seems, lately. And I don't know if I'm getting more sensitive to them or if they're actually getting worse. But this should 100% have just been a friggin' page of comics. I definitely sound like our old buddy Chris now, but, but he's, he's right. This here is just a transcript, short transcript, of a moment between Colossus and Domino. And it, it's really the most interesting scene in the book 
is not drawn as a scene. So here, Domino realized that Colossus, ever since their first time leap, is suddenly acting a lot more like his old self. And we don't know why Colossus can't come right out and tell her what he's been experiencing, that he's being controlled, whatever he knows about it. Uh, but he does start to ask Domino to do him a favor by going to his farm there in the Savage Land, and that's where he gets cut off because old man Kid Omega gets his act together enough to transport them back to Krakoa. Again, this would have been so much more dramatic if we saw Kid Omega kind of coming back to himself and starting to do the thing and the timing, how we just can't get it out. But it's just so anticlimactic here, the way it's just black text on a white page. So, But I see these pages, I'm like, oh, this is the page the artist did no time to draw. <laughs> I know it fits some quota, right? Like they have to have two data pages per issue, but... Yeah, it, I, I don't bad. know why. this. It's not a document that exists anywhere. It's just a page that didn't get drawn. It's a page out of the script that got pasted into this, this data page template. So anyway, back on Krakoa, Chronicler asserts control over classes again, so he never gets to finish his sentence. So maybe there's a seed planted here. Again, after whatever happens in Fall of X, maybe Domino goes down to the Savage Land, probably finds that body of Kayla, who was Beast girlfriend that he was living with and that he was ordered to kill. And maybe that is what finally gets this chronicler plot line to the forefront. It's been bubbling away in the background for a hell of a long time. Yeah. And again, we haven't gotten the power set of chronicler explained. Drives me insane. We've had three time jumps and he could have just told them what was going on because apparently he wasn't under the control at the time. But instead, he gives a vague sort of clue as to like, hey, find out what's going on. Just yeah, insults and me. this is Ben Percy's storyline. It's it's it was born in this book, so it's not like he's just making glancing reference to something that's happening in Immortal or Red. It it feels like he should have ownership of this issue, and he it's should be a able good to do whatever idea. He wants. It's a really yeah, it good idea. Just I don't understand why he doesn't want to explain what's going on. And I like the idea of multiple plot lines bubbling away in the background, but at some point you gotta. You know, the, the gun has to go off. You have yeah. to see what's going on here. It's been well over a year that this has been happening, right? I, I haven't even looked yeah. up where, where Kayla got killed, but it's been a hell of a long time. Yeah, it was early issues of X-Force. Yeah, probably around, I don't know, 12, 16. I could Google it, but no one cares. Uh, so uh, that's the issue. Not a great issue, but entertaining enough, maybe. We don't think about it too hard. So let's think about it too hard. Uh, the Cerebro Sword. We've already complained about what it can do. But now let's think about where it is. It gets buried under Stonehenge sometime in the relative present. We don't know exactly where that happens compared to what's going on in Wolverine, but it certainly is our current kind of an evil-ish beast. So it's got to be sometime around now. And then it's underground for a thousand years because Beast Rod still has it at plus a thousand when he bursts forth and takes over the world. So we should not see the Cerebro Sword ever again, basically, in any of these issues. So do you think it's actually really gone? The continuity <laughs> is going to be kept that tight? Editorials on the case? Or are they just going to forget what's, about this? What's happened? the next issue of Wolverine? That's what I expect to I mean, see it. Depending on what happens with Beast, he maybe if Beast is still alive at the end of Wolverine, maybe he could hide the sword after that issue. But, yeah, mm, no. We'd You're have to see how it works too out. Much credit. I expect <sighs> him to screw it up himself. Right. <laughs> Well, listeners, we will be on that case. You better believe it. Any appearance of the Cerebro Sword, you will hear about on his podcast. Yes. Mother Righteous's boots and the Cerebro Sword. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
that that's is what, what people come here for. That is that's, what this podcast That's will what cover. gets the hot internet clicks these days. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Uh, old man Kid Omega, he's not bonded with the Cerebrax anymore. Uh, he's back to the present, but he's still old man Kid Omega. So do you think he's going to die and be resurrected somehow, if we can still do that? Do you think he's just going to be old man Kid Omega like we had you know, young man Cable for kind of an extended time? I'm curious <laughs> to see what happens with him. What's the status at what, quo? At, at some point, he has to drop the kid part, right? Somebody's got to pull him aside. Man, kid will make it to me forever and ever. <laughs> He'll have to say like, "Don't call me kid, Omega." Also, what's the uh, the cuckoos aren't going to really dig this, right? And he probably is still into. I can't remember which one he was into, but <laughs> oh, those yeah. I you have to imagine maybe, ancient. Maybe they are into it, and that could be much much man. worse. <laughs> Okay, Deadpool. I, I kind of liked how Deadpool was used in this arc. Maybe the most interesting time travel-ish thing Ben Percy came up with in the idea that Deadpool didn't time travel. He just has a healing factor. He can age and not really show the age. He's already super crazy, so living through a couple weird millennia is not going to change him that much. So yeah, have him be around as Deadpool. Making him the guy who kills Beast Rod at the end he is on X-Force, so I can't fault it too much for him. He's on the team. He he won the day, so good for Deadpool. I think that was probably the, the best part of this whole three-issue story. Did you did you like the Deadpool bit? Yeah, I was okay with this part. I mean, he is, it, it's very true to the character, right, that he's sort of a joke, but he is a deadly assassin. And so if you focus on the joke part and forget that he's an assassin, you're probably going to get killed. Yeah, and then let's see. Uh... Colossus? Oh, actually, I have a note here in my notes. Uh, he killed Kayla back in X-Force number 24. And this is X-Force number 42. So that's, if my math is correct, about 18 issues ago. So over a year ago. Colossus has been controlled at least 18 issues because that wasn't the first time that happened. At so yeah, that's the issue. End of an arc. Didn't really care for it. I think the best you can say for it is the Deadpool stuff was kind of amusing. And it successfully filled the three months that had to be filled before we got to Fall of X. So I'm giving this a regular, plain old five out of ten. Yeah. I would try to give it more, but the art is kind of bad in my mind. So, And I probably don't like it as much as you do, so I'm going to go down to 4.8. Okay, I, yeah, I, don't, I thought the art like was it. pretty cool. Uh, some, some nice some nice bright colors for me to look at. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's all I need. I'm a simple man. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick pause here to hopefully upload the files, and then we're going to come back in one second and talk about Immortal X-Men number 13. And we're back. Uh, if you're hearing me, obviously, folks, you know that the recording went all right, but it, it, it looks like it uploaded, so I think we're in good shape. So I don't know about you, Ruben, but I'm in a pretty good mood all of a sudden. <laughs> so yeah. on, on that note, let's head right into uh, a work written by, I think, I can safely say one of both of our favorite writers, Kieran Gillen. And it is Immortal X-Men number 13, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Lucas Werneck, colors by David Curiel, letters by Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Muller, once again, with the assistance of Jay Bowen. So this issue revolves around two meetings of the Quiet Council, uh, the last two meetings of the Council before the third Hellfire Gala, and possibly the last two meetings of the Quiet Council ever. We'll see what happens, but that's what it looks like. Dun, dun, dun. As the focus <laughs> character, uh, we have, well, Gillen's already used up all the original Quiet Council members for the first 12 issues. So this one, he goes on to our good old friend, Doug Ramsey, a.k.a. Cypher. 
who is not exactly on the council, but he's there all the time. He sees everything. He serves as Krakoa's uh, amanuensis, to use an SAT word. And he hasn't often taken an active role in the major goings-on in Krakoa, but when he does, it's been you know quite important, quite decisive. For instance, the end of Inferno, when he saves a demonized Moira from being killed by mistaken destiny, and of course, the thing that he was secretly doing with the pit. So we don't often talk about the mostly blank quote pages that you know come at the start of some books. But this one I think is worth spending a moment on. It's that famous John Don bit about how, quote, no man is an island, which is maybe a little bit on the nose because Krakoa is, of course, the island that walks like a man, and Doug is the man who can talk to the island that walks like a man. And this is also the passage that ends by suggesting we not ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And it sure seems like the bell is tolling on this era of mutantum. So with that out of the way, let's head into the issue proper. We're in the Grove, where there's a quiet council meeting going on, and Doug not really paying that much attention. I'm sure he hears the same thing over and over again, gets kind of bored, and he's distracted. Uh, what What is distracting Doug in this little scene here? Yeah, I see some of the leaves of Krakoa falling. Yeah, a, a whole bunch of leaves. And, and leaves, I guess all the trees are Krakoa. The island is everything on the island. So these leaves are the leaves of capital K Krakoa. Uh, and it's it's a, you know, definitely a, a symbolic thing going on here. It's, it's not particularly subtle. It's what my old high school English teacher, Dr. Judy, would have called pathetic fallacy. When external natural forces are used to kind of illustrate internal emotional states. Uh, and I don't know exactly why this is happening in a, a literal sense. We know that Krakoa, that the deal is the symbiosis. I'm pulling out all the SAT words today. Uh, the symbiosis between Krakoa and the mutants is that it's like this energy vampire in a way. It, it, it can take energy out of the mutants. And as long as there's a bunch of mutants around and it takes a little bit of energy from each, it should be all right. But for some reason, the, the mood, the emotions, apparently something is not quite right, and that's why the leaves are falling. And uh, when is it that leaves tend to come off of trees there, Ruben? <laughs> which, which season is it? Autumn. This is a very subtle symbol. I don't know if everyone caught. <laughs> you say autumn, I'm going to yes, smack you. I just did. Uh, okay. it's, <laughs> it, it happens, of course, when it's time for the fall. So as a symbol... It's, I can see why Kieran Gillen couldn't resist this. It makes perfect sense. Yes. But, but yeah, I, I don't think that, I don't think that the deal between Krakoa and the Eans really works that way. If I wanted to overthink this, and of, of course I do, that's why I'm on this podcast, I might argue that this is nothing to do with, you know, emotions on Krakoa or people being unsettled with the government. I would argue that this is all because of that gosh dang blight swill that Orcus spread around beneath the island back in Bishop War College. So, hey, Marvel, send me my no prize for that, because I think I win. It's a better explanation than the one we get. <laughs> it, it's not as symbolic, but it, it makes more sense in a nuts and bolts kind of way. It does, because there, you know, Doug Ramsey goes off and talks about how the fact that the government is corrupt, that the island as nation is not sustainable, and that makes no sense to me. Like, like as you said, Greco is just an energy vampire, right? Like, we've never seen anything to suggest that it can't drain all the power that it needs, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because people are unhappy with their government. Yeah, even in one of the uh, one of the Sabretooth books, I think it was, that 
it needed extra energy and it just pulls energy out of some units who are in the area and they kind of faint. Yep. And so it can get the energy from anywhere, and we know there are 18 zillion mutants currently on the island, so it should have no problem filling up its tank. Yes. So after that symbolic opening bit, we get into the actual council meeting, and as we recall, last issue of that council, under the influence of various nefarious forces, they voted to release the details of the Sinister Timeline. Try that again. They voted to release the details of the Sinister Timeline to the world at large. It seems this did not go over so well. Yeah. People were already more than a little suspicious about the mutants, you know, maybe taking over the world, getting rid of all the regular humans. So this very concrete example of exactly <laughs> that happening yes. was a pretty big deal. Yeah, maybe not so, the best choice. So as a result, and this makes perfect sense, orders of Krakoan drugs are weighed down. Now, people will still need their drugs, so I don't imagine it's all gone, but yeah, supply and demand. Demand is going to fall off a little bit. Now, I can see why that would be a big deal for political reasons. Krakoa needs, needs to have the other countries dependent on it, just how it has a place in the world to keep it kind of secure in that sense. Yeah. But then Emma says something that I just don't buy. She says, and this is a quote, the problem is Krakoa is not a self-sustaining nation. We sell goods and buy what we need, like it's Singapore. She didn't say that. <laughs> Uh, if our goods are not being bought, we cannot afford our little paradise. We perhaps yeah. have months, and this is utterly impossible. It's this is idiotic. a magic island. Yes, you can plant a seed and get a house. It the, creates the, fruit and food, right? Like they they've been growing everything. Indeed, and even beyond the amazing things Krakoa itself can do, they have every mutant you can think of there. They have mutants who create ice cream. They have mutants who control technology and energy and time and space and predict the future. We already heard that Xavier back in House of X owns all these shell corporations in the real world. So the idea that the economy of Krakoa is that balanced on a knife edge that it's these drugs or anything like like they're Saudi Arabia when the price (laughs) of oil drops, right? Even Saudi Arabia has diversified. They have Mysterium for crying out loud. They have Mysterium. They're like controlling the galactic economy, right? The galaxy, the economy of the entire galaxy, billions and billions of Carl Sagan's sons. Yeah. So again, symbolically, it's fantastic. But oh, things are going wrong. Even that's breaking. Yeah. I don't think Gillen does the work to make it actually make sense in universe. Yeah, does not. Okay. Moving on from that uh, little spiel. Uh, next major thing that happens is Destiny uh, incites a little feud with Celine, and it, it's got to be just infuriating to talk to Destiny about anything, because you know that she knows exactly the reaction she's going to get from anything she says, anything she does, and everything is completely calculated to the 15th decimal place to make you do something. And yeah, I, I don't know why everyone's not just constantly punching in her shiny gold face, because it's obnoxious. So in this case, what she does is she reminds everyone, but particularly Exodus, of how Selene attacked Krakoa with that giant kaiju back in Immortal Number 1. Then she reminds everyone, but particularly Exodus, that if Selene were to need to be resurrected now via the Five, then precedent says that she wouldn't have a vote anymore in the Council. So Exodus, you know, picks up on these subtle hints that Destiny is dropping and decides, hey, I'll, I'll just kill Selene. That'll be a good thing. So we get a pretty cool fight scene that only ends with Storm stepping in and pointing out to Exodus that, yeah, they could keep fighting, but if they unleash all their power, 
everybody on the island is dead, so maybe we should cut it out. And that, that's the only thing that makes Exodus stop. But now, what do we do about Exodus, who just tried to murder a fellow counselor to death? As he quite articulately points out, they can't put him in the pit. They can't force him down into the pit. He's too strong for that. Yeah. And he's not the only one, right? Who, who else could they not put into the pit if they needed to? <laughs> a lot of the characters. I mean, Storm. I don't know how you Storm take for her sure. Who are uh, all the Omegas? Black Tom, right? He could just tell Perkoa uh, yeah. to do whatever. Uh, <laughs> Doug. Doug is best friends with Perkoa. So anybody Krakoa likes, for instance, yeah. could not be kept in the pit yeah. if Krakoa didn't want to. So that's an important, important idea. So what's kept the Quiet Council together so far, what's kept all of Krakoan society together so far, really isn't the fear of punishment. It's the feeling of having a common purpose. And now that common purpose, or even the illusion of a common purpose, is falling apart, both through these attacks from the outside and from the, the flaws and the lies and the compromises that were inherent in this project from the very start, that they could paper over and pretend they didn't see for a while, but you, there's no pretending now. Exodus says, I fight for Krakoa, but there is no Krakoa. And that's where we end this first Quiet Council meeting of this issue. So where do you what do you think of where we leave this status quo at this point? Pretty dire, huh? It is dire, yeah, and I actually really enjoy Exodus or Exodus's kind of exposition on how tenuous the relationship of the heroic slash villain mutants has been over the years. That it's all just sort of it, it works because they all just agree that it works, but there's really nothing holding them together. Yeah, I really enjoy how Gillen writes Exodus. He's kind of a one note villain, I think sometimes if you don't handle him correctly. But when Gillen leans into him as a believer, as a zealot. You know, somebody who, when they're on board, is a thousand percent on board, yep. and when they're not on board, is a thousand percent out of it. Yep. So, and and he's a, a smart guy who's seen a lot of things and can explain what's going on very straightforwardly and very honestly. He's not a schemer the way almost everyone else on the council is, right? He he yeah. calls it like he sees it, and yeah. he sees some interesting things. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that people can manipulate him pretty effectively. Yeah, he's kind of simple, but he's not stupid if that makes sense right yeah. he can be manipulated but mostly through pointing out truthful things yes he's not being fooled yes. he's just kind of being used directly in a way that afterwards he doesn't feel like he's done something he didn't want to do yeah, yeah so it's cool. that's that's we're already in a bad enough state but then our boy doug goes and has a private meeting with professor x just to twist the knife a little more now doug is again in a symbolic story view sense, very important to this whole saga. He's, I'm pretty sure, the very first mutant that Charles invites to the island, because he's the only one who can talk to Krakoa. So yeah. Doug's been a part of this from the very, very, very beginning, before House of X number one, right? When things yeah. were going on in the background we didn't know about, Doug was already on board. Yeah. So if Doug Ramsey doesn't believe in this project anymore, then it's really got to feel, especially to Charles, that it is all over. It is not happening. Yeah. He's a, the fourth person they talk to, right? So Moira talked to Charles, Charles talked to Eric, the three of them conceived of Krakoa, and then they approached Doug, right? And they took him to the island, dropped him off to figure out how to communicate with Krakoa and figure out if that would work as a solution for like a location to live. So he's definitely like very deeply connected with this whole endeavor. From absolutely from before the beginning, he was he was the first guy on board. So we had to lose him and I, I also, you got to think that Charles 
has like a fatherly emotional state regarding Doug, right? Yeah. He's not a, Charles is not a great dad to his own son, but he, he, you think his relationship with Doug is, is in that nature, sort of feel rejected in this way by your own pseudo son has got to hurt even more. Yeah, so he's got a bit, I'd say he's got a bit of kind of a Nightwing's status in the X-Men lore because he was part of that original New Mutants team. And that was like the first sort of expanded, you know, X group beyond X Factor, right? When like the old generation just kind of left. But when they were like, we're going to do an X, X-Men type story without the people we know as the X-Men, that was the New Mutants, right? And Doug was part of that original crew. Yeah, he's a character that I think a lot of readers identify with. He's he's somebody you want to see protected, you want to see do well. That To call him like the conscience is going a little bit too far, but he's kind of in that direction. He also has a cool power, right? It's unique. It's not obvious what you would do with it, and he's done some pretty cool things with it over the years. He has. Uh, so Doug tells Charles here that he's lost the support of Krakoa. Not just Krakoa the island, but Krakoa the whole population. It's it's almost like in, in Chinese history, the idea of losing the mandate of heaven. Yeah. Once that's gone, you're really not the ruler anymore, even if you say that you are. Yeah. So we get another data page that should have been comics, but I already did that rant, uh, with Doug first admitting to all the various secret things he's been a part of, with the pit, with Moira, and then just lays into Charles, just telling him, reaming him about how bad a ruler he's been. And uh, this is the part I thought was Gillen through Doug, laying it on a little bit thick here. Like, sure, Charles, not a perfect character, made a ton of mistakes, but I think this could have been done without making Doug come off so self-righteous. It, it makes me not like Doug as much as I want to. Did, did you think it goes too far, or did you think this was the right tone? Uh, when I read it, I was annoyed with it, right? Okay. But I've been th- this is one thing I have been thinking about since we you know, had our first call on this. His Power is like perfect communication, right? Perfect understanding, perfect communication. Perhaps this is a tone that was necessary to communicate these ideas to Xavier. I mean, Maybe. reality okay, is probably just on. poorly written <laughs> characterization of this <laughs> character. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, you know, no, this is what Xavier needed to hear. So almost like a, a destiny thing, where he knows what his the effect his words are going to have, just because he knows how words work so well. Yes. Maybe okay. I I like that idea. I, I'm still going to complain more about it at the end, but uh, I, I, see I mean, he does he, he does get Xavier to agree to the plan, right? Which is disband the council. He he does. That's a good argument, and I I don't think that was necessary. But I guess maybe you could make the argument that it was necessary to hit him that hard to to make this plan go into practice. Interesting idea. So yeah, Charles takes the betrayal pretty hard. He doesn't deny his mistakes. But he doesn't see how the society could have been built without these compromises, right? Bringing yeah. in the villains, leaning into the mutant separatism, ethnic separatism kind of idea yeah. that he was never too happy about. Charles says he yeah, went along with those compromises, but now the crats are showing. And that's and the part I did really like. Apart. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the part I did like because a lot of people over over the last, what, five, six years have just been kind of livid with the idea of, Xavier, who was always the coexist guy, buying into these ideals that sounded a lot more like Magneto, right? Yeah, and, and uh, Apocalypse, too. And Apocalypse, yeah, exactly. So he's because buying into he, these concepts. he needed them. He needed to compromise yes. to put together a coalition. Yeah. And so this was basically, everyone's been saying this isn't Xavier, right? I hate this X-Men line because he doesn't act the way he was 
supposed to act. This sort of acknowledges that, right? But this is him explaining, like, for the greater good, I was doing these things, which is good to me yeah, for the I, character. Yeah, I buy it, too, because also, after hearing from Moira and reading her mind and knowing all the things that were tried in her previous lives and how badly it ended every time for the mutants, he's going to be feeling pretty desperate to do something different, to do a, you know, a Hail Mary kind of play. And that would be enough incentive, I think, to, to say, well, okay, I'll try something I'm not really that comfortable. And it makes sense that Charles is the kind of guy that once he makes a decision, he's going to lean way into it, even if it was only a 51-49 decision in his mind. He's going to play it out like it was 100 to nothing. Well, and it's real politics, right? Like, a lot of people pick a political party. They don't necessarily buy into, like, all the ideals of that party. But they get so connected to the overall package of ideas, right, that you just sort of compromise on individual policies. So I, I think it's, it's pretty good. It's a good um, complex characterization of this Xavier. Yeah. I, I prefer this Agreed. to like the like, oh, he's just a jerk characterization yeah. <laughs> that we get a lot of times. Yeah, he's just an, he's just an egotist. He just thinks he's perfect. Yeah. And this, is, this shows a different side of him. Yes, he has those flaws of egotism, but he's thinking about other things as well. So, Doug and Charles put together a plan, and we see that plan put into action at the second Quiet Council meeting of this issue. This plan was shared with some of the council members. Kate and Emma and Hope, at least, but not with the others. I mean, why would you tell Shaw what you're up to? Not a scheme. (laughs) So they announce, hey, Quiet Council, we're disbanding. It's over. Uh, Kate says, we will announce the end of the Quiet Council at this year's gala. More things happening at the gala. Uh, Emma says, get rid of the old management and promise that the new one will be better. So there's some arguments, posturing back and forth. But uh, who steps forward to kind of settle the deal but our boy Doug? who makes uh, another speech that I was going to say sounds, again, kind of self-righteous, but I'm thinking back to your, your argument that he's, yeah. he's the language guy. Yeah. Maybe this is what had to be said. To get I'll enough buy votes. It. Buy it. <laughs> I, think you, I think you've raised my score by at least a tenth of a, a point, so okay. oh, great. I'm yeah. with you. Uh, I do like the bit where he draws the distinction that while the mutants of Kakoa are people, they have not found a way to become a people which is a super huge issue like outside of comics in the world. What counts as a nation? There's all these different groups in in, like, think about in Europe or in Africa where the lines drawn on the map to make countries don't always exactly match up with, you know, ethnic groups or historical associations and who gets to be a nation? What does it mean? Who gets to be on the inside or the outside? It's a complicated question. It's also Uh, interesting. I'm going to, I just noticed this as I'm looking at the page. Sure. He goes up to Exodus, right? Is Exodus really the kind of pivot on the council? But his whole speech is given to Exodus to, I guess, try to convince him to go with them. Yeah, I, I guess so. Now, we don't actually get a vote on any of this. It would have been interesting to actually see how the vote comes down, but it all just kind of happens by, I don't know, nearly unanimous consent. So so Doug here, who's, again, not really a member of the council, officially moves to dissolve the council. And there are no objections out loud in the arts. And again, we argued about this last time. Uh, you see Destiny raising her left hand like, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. But either she I, doesn't speak or something happens and no one else agrees with her. So she takes it back. Yeah. My, I mean, it doesn't really matter. The outcome is the outcome. But my take on it was that she did object, but nobody else went with her. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think maybe Gillen thought that stopping and doing the parliamentary procedure and voting would take away from the <laughs> emotional flow. 
but yeah. I'm the kind of nerd who wants to see the vote happen. Put that on a data page. What's the vote? There's another thing that's interesting. Yeah, that would have been that would have been good. We've had votes before on data pages. Yeah. We also get like the statement from Hope here saying that like until they figure out what oh, yes. the new government is, the the five are kind of on strike, which I think is interesting. That means it is. I guess that it really means that uh, Omega Red is definitely not coming back anytime <laughs> soon. Again, ex- depending on exactly where this lines up with that storyline, who knows? It's we know nothing. It's not exactly every month happens at the same time. So perhaps he's already been brought back before this happens. We'll see. But yeah, that is an interesting point because the five have always been, you know, a, a particular point of failure possibility or a bottleneck or like this, a power center that hasn't often asserted itself. Uh, they did, who did they bring back without asking? Was it uh, the Scarlet Witch? Uh, no, well, yes. And then also they brought back Destiny, right? Yes. So a couple times they've, you know, said, hey, we're going to bring somebody back, even if you don't necessarily tell us to, but to have them totally go on strike, that's that's another nail in the coffin of this version of Krakoan government, right? Yeah. If they're out, it's, again, thinking about different countries, how they fail. It's like if the military says, yeah, we're no longer listening to the Generalissimo, the prime minister, yeah. the government's failing. Uh, so, they must here, have brought Miss Marvel back before this. <laughs> yeah, curious how it's all going to work out. How does this timing yeah. happen? Because it, I, I it think seems super important. I think they did because there's a scene when you know they're trying to show how Krakoa is on shaky ground with all the other nations, where Emma's like walking through a crowd, and I think she gets confronted by the parents of Miss Marvel, saying like, "Did you bring her back? And is she safe?" No, that wasn't Miss Marvel, was it? It was it was somebody wearing a similar uh, dressing. I thought scene. that was, was her mom. I think that was her mom. And they were saying the Phoenix Foundation brought her back. Is I, she okay? I see what you're saying. It's here on page six of the digital. And uh, someone is saying, someone dressed, I'm, I'm going to use the wrong term, but with a head covering that would be consistent hijab. with a hijab. Somebody yeah. consistent with, with like Ms. Marvel's background and religion. Yeah. Uh, she's saying to Emma, "Is our the Phoenix Foundation brought her back. Is our little girl safe? And it looks like she's gesturing to a girl being held in a father's arms. And I don't think that's Ms. Marvel's dad, and I don't you think don't that's Ms. So. Marvel. Well, that's not Ms. Unless Marvel you've been being back held way young. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm saying, not saying that's Ms. Marvel. I don't think. Okay, you're saying is our little girl being the girl the father's holding? It looks like that. What who the the woman is gesturing to with her hand? They're like, is our little girl ah uh, safe? It would be interesting. An interesting I, I think it just happens to be someone ethnically similar to Ms. Marvel's family. I don't think that's actually her. <laughs> Am I going to get canceled here? <laughs> because Ms. Marvel is going to be announced. They all look alike to you, Ruben, is that what you're saying? Uh, all, all us Arabs look alike to you. Like, I'm only half, oh, but God. I can say it. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think, again, because Ms. Marvel is going to be announced or brought back at the gala, and this is obviously before the gala, so I don't think she and her family would be running around in public revealing themselves that way. But an interesting idea. So, uh, Doug here, after his little speech, is pretty relieved looking that his little plan is working. And then something really strange happened, something I did not expect, something that made me go, whoa. And that is Krakoa reaches out with these black tendrils, tangles up Doug, and drags him underground like he's a criminal being sentenced to the pit. Hope is able to mimic Doug's power just long enough to understand Krakoa to say, I must protect him. So what the heck do you think is going on here? Yeah, Krakoa knows something's up. I don't know what. Yeah, is he protecting Doug from the council, from the 
the Krakoans in general? Does it does it have communication with what's going on on Arako and knows that the, the Genesis War is coming? Mm, that's Who knows? a good one. Yeah, I forgot about that. That Genesis is on her way. Yeah, Maybe. all sorts of bad things are happening at the same time. So yeah, well, which Doug one was is involved in X of Swords, so it kind of makes sense. Was a sword bearer. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So yeah, Doug is off the board for at least these next few events of Fall of X. So there's no one going to be around to speak up for Krakoa, which seems like an important thing. So that's like a, a missing ability that everyone has taken for granted, but no one else can step in and do that job. Just like we speculated a few times about which characters can step in and do the job of the five. You know, Sync could do some stuff. Do you think Sync has ever synced with Doug and would able be able to call back on that ability? Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen no. that happen. No. But that's the only character I could think of who might be able to mimic be it. a substitute cipher. Yeah. So we end with a melodramatic moment with the rest of the council kind of just reflecting on all the many, many mistakes that brought them to this point. Destiny tries to look into the future, but at least, you know, if we take her words at face value, and who knows, she says she sees nothing, just blinding white nothing. And that's the issue. So, yeah, a definitely a necessary issue, a important lead up to Fall of X, does some cool things, breaks up the Quiet Council, gets dug off the board, everybody just not happy with the way things were going, all of these fault lines brought to the surface. But uh, yeah, this is the part where last time I complained about the characterization of Doug, uh, which you've, you've made me feel a little bit better about. And I complained about the whole Emma economy thing, which I still don't think there's going to be for that. I have nothing to, to nothing say there. about oh, that. Okay. <laughs> it's just bad. I hate that part. It, mm -hmm. Again, it's very similar to the... Um, oh, sorry, I'll throw all the beeps. Um, it's very similar to the Stephanie Phillips technology stuff. It's just not well thought out. But Yeah, he clearly okay. had this really it's cool okay. idea, but then wasn't able to, to put the foundations there to make it make sense, I think. The so, problem yeah. is they, they mm -hmm. just put themselves in a position of such unassailable superiority, right, relative to everything else, at least the way it's been portrayed to date, that I, I don't believe people withholding purchases is going to do anything. It might hurt, you know, Black King's bank role for a little bit. But to your point, like an island with mutants, just make some smart stock investments and you're Fine, right? Yeah, I, I believe that their political system is that fragile. Their society is that fragile. I don't yes. believe the economy is that fragile. Yes, exactly. Okay, so yeah, I think that's about all I have to say about this, except for the Lucas Warneck art is always fantastic. Some cool backgrounds that have like fingerprint patterns, just like I think there's supposed to be bushes in the background, but they look like fingerprints. And that's kind of, I think, symbolic of all these characters having their fingerprints metaphorically all over this mess. So maybe I'm reading too much into there, but I thought that was really cool. Uh, maybe Gillen just didn't get across to me uh, the Doug character as much as he wanted to. Gillen is really good at writing morally compromised or evil characters. Mother Righteous, Exodus, like I say, Mr. Sinister, he does a fantastic Sinister. We loved how he did things with the Eternals, like Icarus. That was great. But maybe... This kind of straightforward, nice guy, Doug, is not Gillen's strong point. That's about as a bad a criticism I'm going to give him. Yeah. This is still clearly the best X issue out this week. Not that the competition was all that strong. And I'm going to give it even a slightly higher score than last time. Yeah, I call it 8.3 out of 10. Why not? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I might even said 7.5 the first time I recorded you this, did. but I, I'm with you. I like 8.3. I like this 8. a lot 5. more, and it was one of those things doing a reread last night that I once again was like, oh, this is fun, and there were some really good moments. Nice. And I do appreciate um, the art quite a bit more in this. Like, whoever, I, I forget the artist's name, unfortunately. Warnick, Warnick yes. Did a really good job of, of having some dramatic moments where kind of the positioning of the characters enhanced the my feeling mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, the, the poses and the facial expressions, they're they're all very they come through very clearly, but they're not exaggerated to the point of silliness, which I think is a fine line that some artists have trouble with. So fantastic one of my favorite artists, I gotta say. More subtle than some artists, but really gets gets the story across, gets the emotions across. And it looks fantastic. Yeah, I do kind of regret that we're not going to get a Gillen exposition on Celine because I don't know much about that character, and I was kind of amused by her sort of. You know, yeah, she's higher in a, than a weird position. We'll see what if she's getting orders from Orcus or what she's going to do when you know the Quiet Council maybe isn't around anymore. Is that good for Orcus? Is that bad for Orcus? A lot of possibilities going forward. So next week, there's only one book coming out that we would be concerned with, and that is. X-Men Red number 13. However, I'm personally going to be traveling this coming weekend to the distant exotic land of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So we haven't decided exactly what we're going to do next week. Uh, maybe we'll try to record early. Maybe you'll get a little solo Ruben episode. Or maybe we'll just kick that book to the following week and take a week off. So uh, whatever happens, it's going to be an interesting issue, I think. So you will be hearing about it at some point. But until whenever our next it episode is, Ruben, do you have any suggestions for how our loyal listeners might keep themselves productively occupied? <laughs> they should read more X-Men books, but um, the addenda on that is that they do not have to read Rogue and Gambit. Nope. We do that for you. And now, folks, if you're listening to this, you know what happens, but I am super excited to see what happens when I push this button right here. <laughs>